This is Thinking Drinking, a podcast about drinks, trivia and social history with absolutely no tasting notes. I'm Tim and I'm joined in the virtual pub by my drinking buddy, Aliri. What are you drinking and thinking about today? Hello, I am drinking a Brewdog Elvis juice. Uh, Since I'm back to work from furlough tomorrow, I thought I'd just take it easy, you know, something light. Hit the hard (laughs) stuff in the final hours you have. (laughs) (laughs) 6.5%. Um, it's been very sunny today, uh, so I am thinking about gay stuff, namely Mount Gay. Yeah, Mount Gay rum mainly, because it's my favourite rum, and I really wish I could be drinking a rum punch in this. Ah, right. Um, hang on. So, um, the the rum. Yes. Yeah. See what? Right. I think I may have only heard the gay part of that when you suggested this as a topic. So um, I haven't got anything about rum or oh. or mountains, really. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about historical gay bars known as Molly Houses. All right. Well, Jesus. Should we do this I'll anyway? About... We, like, this is a happy fusion, isn't it? <laughs> Molly, Molly Houses and Barbados rum. Like, they go together. We can yeah, make fine. something out of that, can't we? Mate, in this pandemic, anything goes. <laughs> <laughs> I actually yeah. have a friend. I have a friend who put a Christmas tree up today. <laughs> no. I'm I, not even lying. We've I'm all got to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, what am I drinking? Um, so because it was, um, because I thought it was gay, the theme, not Mount Gay, um, <laughs> I thought, well, maybe I should drink um the campest wine i've got which i guarantee is the current campest wine in the world did you know this week that kylie minogue released a rosé what as if that wasn't camp enough you can buy it in tesco (laughs) (laughs) Um, it was it was announced earlier this week and um i thought well i've I've got to get me some of that just for shits and giggles uh, went online straight away. Of course, it was completely sold out anywhere in London. All yeah. all the London gays were straight on it. Um, however, I spoke to my sister, and she lives in Lincolnshire, and she was like, "Yeah, no one's going to want that here." So um, she sent <laughs> sent her husband out to the shop to bring back two bottles of Kylie Rose wine. She's kept one, and she posted the other one to me through the Royal Mail. Oh my gosh! That's so amazing. I have a bottle of that, but. I feel like it would do a disservice to her to not drink that with her. So we always hang out together online on Friday nights. I'm going to save it for that. So I'm afraid I'm yeah. not going to drink it for this occasion. I'm going to save it and instead I've just got a cider. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not even drinking Mount Gay Rum because I haven't got any. But mm. I wish I wish I knew that we were talking about gay, just generally gay stuff because I've got a pretty fantastic gin that would go well. Did you know that Graham Norton has his own pink gin? I did, and I've not tried it yet. I've got it. It's all right. It's oh, really? Nothing, yeah, it's average. 
Yeah. But, I mean, celebrity maids and endorsed drinks, I don't necessarily have high hopes for, you know, but I'll, I'll let um, you know next time we do a recording I, how Kylie went down. I saw on Instagram this week that Philip Schofield now has his own boxed wine. That's pretty classy as well, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? What is happening? Uh, but we when should definitely talking? have a session of scoff. <laughs> Get absolutely scoffed. Friday night is Friday night. Yes. Um, all right. I, you want to talk about I would, but first, because I haven't really taken a sip of my bottle yet, I'm hoping that when I do it, it'll make that really satisfying glugging sound. Oh, okay. Go on. We know how well this goes when we try to record satisfying drink stories, yeah. but I would fucking suck at ASMR. But let's try. <laughs> It made a noise, right? Did you I not mean, hear it? I just about uh, heard it. I don't know. I'll, what I'll do in the edit is I'll try and like really ramp up the volume on that bit. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see if we can get something. Let me, let me try again. <laughs> there you go. I feel like that was a lie. <laughs> no, that was definitely my bottle. <laughs> right, Mount Gay Ram. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a rum from Barbados. Um, have you heard of it? Barbados, yeah. The the rum, monkey. <laughs> yes, I have. I, ha- I have heard of it. Um, I've probably laughed at it, and I've probably had it. Although I'm not a massive is- rum drinker, but I think I have. So I've been lucky enough to do the distillery tour uh, in Barbados. Mm. Um. I can remember some knowledge. <laughs> I know that it's the world's oldest commercial distillery. It's like early 1700s. Um, and it wasn't originally called Mount Gay Rum. It was originally called, can't remember the exact name. It was like Mount Gilboa or something like that. It was named after the plantation that was bought by the guy that owns it. Mm-hmm. Um. He also had a great name, John Sober. <laughs> ah. Oh, the irony. Oh, what's it what's it called? Um nominative determinism when you do a job that sounds like your name, but this is reverse nominative determinism. Exact opposite, exactly. So yeah, John Sober had owned it all. And the business manager was a guy called John Gay Elaine. Eleni, I'm not sure. Alan, I think actually it's pronounced, but I know I don't you mean because it's spelt with a Y N E, isn't it? Yes. Um, but John Gay was just really, really good at his job and absolutely smashed it. And he was also just generally loved in Barbados because he was one of the most influential voices of his time, um, speaking up against slavery and stuff like that. So Mm. he he was just completely cherished by everyone on the island uh so when he died they said it only feels right to rename the rum after him and they wanted to rename it mount allen after his surname but there was already a distillery or a plantation house in operation on the island with that name so they renamed it mount gay and that's where the name comes from um but yeah they're, they're mega proud of it so that you've got mount gay rum and i think around the same area they also bottle and brew their own beer banks beer which is delicious mm-hmm. 
Um, but I think that's moved to America now. I'll have to check. I'm sure I read or heard that quite a while ago that moved production. Anyway, Mount Gay Rum. It is made from molasses. It's mm-hmm. made in the Caribbean. And it's distilled through natural coral, apparently, the water that they use to oh. make it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah, they just do the general copper copper distillation and then they age it in oak barrels. And it is delicious. Very nice. They tend to drink it with the, the tiniest splash of coke mm-hmm. out there. <laughs> like, not much at all. Pretty much neat. Or they make a really killer rum punch. There's, uh, I should have actually researched this just before we talked about it, but there's a... I mean, that's the idea. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) I didn't plan to talk about this, but it was the rum punch uh, recipe that um, they use in Barbados. I think it's one of sour, two of sweet, three of soft, four of neat. So it's like four... Four parts rum, three parts water or whatever. And then you've got your sour and sweet, which comes from lime and sugar water. Mm-hmm. Or sugar cane. Um, so when you ask for a rum punch in a bar, generally here it's just full of juice and sugar and horrible chemicals. Whereas in Barbados, it's pretty much just rum, lime, sugar, water. Done. I think that's the best way to drink it, isn't it? Even in my experience, I'm like, if I'm going to have one, it's going to be like that. But this sweet, it's not like hardcore people will just use like water as the soft or whatever, but other people tend to use like pineapple juice or orange juice. So I guess that's how it's slowly become more of a juicy, fruity drink. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. my my aunt who lives in Barbados, she's pretty hardcore. She, uh, She pours it that way. She also makes something called a planter's punch, which is an old traditional drink that the plantation workers used to drink, which was pretty hardcore as well. <laughs> and what's, do you know what that is? Um, again, I have that written down. Uh, but it's, it's, very, it's generally just, it's very natural stuff. It will just be like a bit of lime squeezed in there, a bit of sugar, and then something different. It might be like a ginger beer or a root root mm-hmm. beer something like that so nothing too fancy it, it's all just simple effective strong stuff <laughs> nice i know um i know a film fact relating to matt gay rum do you know this did you read this um yes i do oh, go on, you tell I, think, I think the first drink that james bond requested in casino royal was it yes that's right in the in the daniel craig era it's his first drink that he orders a mount gay rum and soda yeah i'm sure as well that one of the beaches in barbados they filmed some james bond there crane beach i'm sure somebody's told me that they filmed james bond it might not be james bond but it's like famous for films because it's such a stunning beach yeah they probably have they did a lot of stuff around there didn't they especially in the, the 70s eras yes Nice. Um, yeah. I, so I enjoyed think... learning that fact about Mount Gay, but mm-hmm. I am slightly disappointed that it's not actually a gay mountain. No, it's just a man with the middle name Gay. Yeah, because, do you know what it put me in mind of? Do you remember 
Uh, <laughs> do you remember Channel 4 did a music video promo called Gay Mountain? No. <laughs> so, okay, cast your mind back. Do you remember the, the Winter Olympics in Sochi? Yes, I 20, do. 2014. Yes. This was. And so Sochi's in Russia, and Russia does not have great track record on, on treating its LGBT plus people very well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of a lot of businesses, organizations turned their logos rainbow for the duration of the Sochi Olympics. Um, okay. And Channel 4 went all out. Not only did it <laughs> not only did it change its logo rainbow and obviously they broadcast the Paralympics um, in this country, but they created like a three or four minute music video of this bear cabaret. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a bear cabaret singing a song called Gay Mountain. And it was good luck gays on Gay Mountain, um, wishing all of our uh, gay athletes success at the Sochi Olympics. And, it, and they had like a DJ dressed up like Putin. Um, <laughs> it was pretty epic. It got half a million views in like the first um, 48 hours of it being released. So it was quite well known. But they really made their point. <laughs> yeah. um, and actually they, they broadcast a documentary at the same time called Hunted, which was about how Russia hunts down its gay people and kills them which was pretty disturbing, but they, you know, it was a good example of how an organization should address an issue like that rather than just go, oh, we'll, we'll change our logo to something rainbow once a year. But they yeah. did get warned by MI6. <laughs> so, um, you know the, well, you know the program, The Last Leg? Yes. They were the ones who actually got warned. So MI6 sort of had a word and said, you might want to tone down your relentless taunting of Vladimir Putin. <laughs> it's not going to end well. So um, how they addressed that warning was they um, invited the uh, Gay Mountain people to come and sing the song on the show. And then they did a rap in the middle of it, apologizing to Vladimir Putin. Brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. So that's what I had in my head the whole time you were telling me those interesting facts. I recommend you uh, go on YouTube and look at Gay Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first thing I'm going to do after this. <laughs> mm. Shall I, do you know <clears throat> the word gay? You know the word gay, no, not that. But you know, obviously his middle name was gay, so you wouldn't think it meant the same thing at that mm-hmm. time. I thought it might be interesting to tell you a little bit about how the word evolved. Okay. Um, because it wasn't entirely innocent at that time. We're talking mid 18th century. Um, okay. We first get it in English in the 12th century, comes from, we think, Old French, gay, G-A-I, probably Old Germanic. And then um, in by sort of 14th century, it already means uh, something kind of sinful because, you know, initially it means carefree uh, and joyful, but mm-hmm. people who start to take that to excess are seen as not obeying kind of like the normal social mores. You already get that by the 14th century. By the time you get to the 17th century, um, it's they've really kind of pushed people who are breaking societal rules with that meaning of being too carefree and too kind of out there and showy. Um, but 
it doesn't necessarily just apply, for example, to homosexual men. So a gay woman is a prostitute. Um, a gay man is a player. <laughs> okay. Um, to mean kind of homosexual, you'd have to look at gay boy. So it would be kind of basically young male prostitutes. But it mostly meant um, sexually promiscuous of kind of any gender or sexuality for quite mm-hmm. a while. Particularly meant um, female prostitutes as we go into the 19th century. And then it's only really once we get into the mid 20th century that it cements itself as solely a word meaning um, homosexual um, as opposed to kind of anything else. But you do still get this resurgence from the 1920s and so forth where people are trying to resurrect the meaning of gay as meaning joyous and carefree. So you get a lot of like songs and literature and films and stuff from the 1920s and 30s and 40s that's called The Gay Something. And it's just meant to mean a bit too carefree, but that resurgence really didn't stick around. And interestingly, I was watching, I watched the film Bringing Up Baby a couple of weeks Mm ago uh, for the first time. And it's from 1938. And there's a bit in it where Cary Grant, he's, um, his, his clothes were all kind of wet and muddy and soiled. So he puts on uh, a woman's bathrobe, frilly bathrobe, and goes to the door and opens it. And the woman's like, why are you wearing that? And he sort of skips in the air and says, because I've turned gay all of a sudden. And oh. audiences there probably wouldn't have necessarily known um, you know, known it as the homosexual way as opposed to I suddenly turned K-free. But for sure, Cary Grant did. Um, he, yeah. knew, he knew what he was doing. And it's the <laughs> first recorded use of it spoken uh, in a film as well. So that was just by chance that popped up. Mm, nice. Yeah. Good. Anyway, it's an interesting evolution of a word, but certainly by the time um, John Gay Allen was known, gay had come to be slang for prostitute in some quarters. Mm-hmm. There you go. Well, well. Got any more uh, rum for me? Um, rum. Or Barbados stuff? Um, there's a great drag show in Barbados, believe it or not. Mm. Uh, on the West Coast, there's a bar called Ragamuffins. And on a Sunday night, they have a drag show. Um, and it's... As far as I know, the only one of its kind on the island. Um, and it's an absolute storm. Um, so they have three, I believe, resident drag queens. And they start out with like a regular just kind of cabaret show where people are sitting having dinner and drinks. And then it just gets more and more ridiculous as the night goes on and usually ends up spilling onto the street. And yeah, it's just great. Yeah. <laughs> In a way, I find it surprising because I know that the that both the culture and the laws out there are quite difficult um, yeah. surrounding <laughs> equality inclusion because of the British Empire, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> We're the ones who exported all these awful things, which I'll go into in a minute. Um, but I know mm-hmm. that in Barbados, it is still illegal. Yeah, exactly. I was shocked when my auntie told me about it. Um, she lives not far from the bar. And she was telling me about it. Um, and it's been going for a number of years. Um, and I was expecting it to be, like when she said, oh, there's a drag show. I just thought, mm, is this just going to be two guys not really doing drag, just two or three guys just literally throwing on a dress 
and almost kind of mocking the drag scene. Yeah. I was worried it would be that, but it wasn't. You know, they were, they'd obviously like, they polished their acts and they, they were lip syncing to stuff like Rihanna and doing it really well. And it was a, a good polished drag act. It wasn't what I was expecting. Um, but yeah, like you say, that especially because I tend to go over there in like August when it's like carnival month. So soca music is everywhere. And it's just so often you'll hear slurs in songs against homosexuals and stuff like that. So it just seems like the norm there. Like nobody's yeah. like shocked when somebody's singing that, whereas I'm sat there going, what? Yeah, you find it <laughs> in the... In the in the British Caribbean um, islands, or you know the ones that were kind of under British rule, the ones that were under Dutch or French, and the US actually tend to be a lot more permissive, like a lot more liberal these days. It's always the English legacy ones, unfortunately, that um, kind of have held on to some of that culture. Yeah. I mean, this bar that um, has the drag show is on the West Coast, which is just full of tourists. It's right. Yeah, you know, you. I guess that I don't know. I I, I don't want to give my assumptions. I don't know for sure, but yeah, it just seems to be more of a touristy thing. <laughs> Anything else from your wonderful world, or shall I uh, do my half of um, Molly's? Yes, I, I really, really want to hear about my houses because I don't know much about it. Okay, let's go. Um, so first of all, just to give you a quick overview, Molly, Molly houses mean places of gathering for gay men, essentially. Mm -hmm. They um, could be a tavern or they could be a coffee house or they could be a boarding house. And... There's a variety of stuff that goes on there. So some um, some critics will say, critics, is that the right word? Some historians, some people, will, commentators, will say <laughs> that uh, they were brothels, but that's not necessarily so. I think the only thing you could say that the various accounts of Molly Houses have in common is that there were gay men there. Um, Molly comes from mol, most likely, which was slang for prostitutes. And okay. Molly's um, short for Mary, or like a slang <laughs> for Mary. So particularly lower class prostitutes, lower class women. There was a real habit of them all giving each other women's names. They would call each other most often Mary. And in fact, we still do. Like you still call someone a Mary. It's, it usually refers to a gay man. So that's most likely where they come from. There's some people who say that it comes from Mollis which is uh, the Latin term for when in a same-sex male uh, partnership, it's the term for the effeminate male, like the passive okay. male in that relationship. I think that's a bit of a stretch. Um, I think it's much more likely that the, uh, the lower class gays of central London were calling each other girls' names than knowing their Latin. But there you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's probably where it comes from. So before I go into kind of what they did there, we do need a little bit of legal background. So it became illegal for gay men to do gay men things uh, in 1533 <laughs> with the Buggery Act. Uh, in okay. those times, buggery 
meant anything kind of sexually wrong in their eyes. So in, in also encompass bestiality. And, I was going to say buggery, yeah. Yeah, it can encompass bestiality and sodomy, either with man or woman. So okay. it wasn't specifically about man on man. But it, it got brought into law because... Well, originally, these kinds of things would have been dealt with in the ecclesiastical court because it's considered, you know, a matter of morals in the church and interpreting the Bible and all that kind of business. But when Henry VIII was intent on dissolving the monasteries, he brought a lot of their laws into his court. And so mm-hmm. all, of a, all of a sudden, this became a civil matter. So that's actually why it sort of first came into law, what people are doing in their bedrooms, is because Henry VIII wanted more power. And actually, he used that very law to um, imprison a lot of priests and nuns, um, uh, monks and nuns, as part mm-hmm. of closing down the monasteries. So that gets put through in, and it's not used that often that we can see anyway with records until we get to the late 17th century. And what happens there is there's this sort of sudden groundswell of prudishness because they've, after the glorious revolution, when people had had enough of Charles II and James II, and they were like, as monarchs, you're far too louche. And they got in William of Orange and Mary, who kind of mentioned previously about, you know, the, the Dutch ruler bringing his Geneva over. Uh, this this kind of church-led group came up campaigning against morality and they were based in Tower Hamlets. And so they would go around central London kind of seeking out all the areas of vice. Now, because homosexual activity, as it was, was um, illegal, you would tend to find that if people wanted to meet up in these molly houses, they would cluster around places where there was already a lot of crime. So they would just kind of go and find these people and they would go undercover and entrap them. Uh, you, know, like, you know what I'm gonna... Oh, go on. Look over there. <laughs> Look over there. Yeah, Look exactly. over there. <laughs> so they were kind of the recruit like police people to go in and, you know, actually I mean, it's practice that carried on right into the 20th century. But um, so as a result of that, you start getting a lot more accounts because they're brought to trial. So the only reason why we can say, oh, these molly houses, you know, started popping up at the end of the 17th century and throughout the 18th century is because we, we have trial evidence for it. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's not to say that that was when we saw the first gay bar. I'd be very surprised if, you know, Shakespeare and Marlowe and their crones weren't going and hanging out at one in, in uh, Southwark back in their day. But it's the <laughs> first time we really start to see court testimony on testimony of it so that's why we know more about it Mm -hmm. Um, and then the law gets changed into offenses against the persons act in late 19th century it's a capital offense you could be put to death uh, for it right up until the 1860s although i think the last case of anyone being put to death was the 1830s and then as a crime that comes to an end in 1967 so yeah so that's the the case for why they existed um anywhere where you're going to be an outlawed person i think you're going to find clusters of people who want to get together and you know kind of live their own lives so mm-hmm. that's why they that's why we know they were around at that time uh where were they they were 
mostly around central London from, from what I know, as I said, because of the actions of uh, the people who were trying to hunt them down. So you've got places like Covent Garden, uh, Moorfield. So where Finsbury Square is, that was known as Sodomites Walk. Love it. <laughs> Those, uh, Lincoln's Inn, they were all around there. And St. James's Park on the south side. There was a lot of activity there because it was next to the soldiers' barracks. Make of that <laughs> what you will. Bill. Yeah. And essentially, if you wanted to <laughs> find out where one was, all you had to do was look for where they were being pilloried. So one of the main punishment that happened as a result of being caught in one of these places was to be put on the pillories, which is a bit like the stocks, but you, you know, you mm. have to stand and put your hands and face through. And this was, I mean, this was a pretty bad punishment because not only, you know, are you exposed and put to shame, but a lot of people would be assaulted. Uh, a lot of people died after being put in them. So it was this kind of really weird indeterminate sentence where you're not quite sure what's going to happen to you either during or immediately afterwards. So it's horrible. A lot of people were fined. A lot of people were then put in prison, but not that many people were actually put to death. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's a, there's a few of them, a, a record of them being hanged, but not that many. Okay. Um, what did they do? You might ask. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly. Karaoke? <laughs> karaoke was definitely a part of it. There was a lot of singing, a lot of singing, <laughs> a lot of dancing. A lot of sex, obviously, uh, which is why, you know, a lot of people say they would be brothels, which, you know, maybe some of them probably were, but not necessarily all of them. Uh, but mm -hmm. it was a place where they could do that. But they would also enact a lot of um, typically female activities and roles. You know, there was a lot of dressing up as women, having women's names. Um, they would have mock weddings, some of which I think were probably just taking the piss and some of which were probably actually quite real in their eyes. So we actually do have records of a, a, a reverend, an actual reverend conducting, you know, pretend weddings as it were uh, in the 19th century. One, one thing I do know is I, I'd read about initiations. Mm. I've they got a record of that. They sound just, amazing. I'm in. I will tell you about in a second. <laughs> Um, yeah, I got. I, I went and looked on the Old Bailey records, the actual trial transcription, and I found it. Um, oh my God. One more ritual they had was, which I think is the weirdest of all of them, they would have mock birth rituals. So they oh would God. pretend that one of them was giving birth to a baby and the rest of them would be midwives, which I think now seems so bizarre as a thing you'd want to do. But actually, there is a tradition of it, um, not just amongst gay men, but amongst men in general, called a couvard where they do just that. And it's a demonstration of a husband showing empathy for his wife's labor pains. So mm -hmm. it was something that had existed before they turned it into something kind of, you know, notably queerer. <laughs> um, there were a few well-known people who, who um, ran these things. So Mother Clap is probably the most well-known, 1724 to 26 <laughs> her house. I know, what a name. Mother Clapp. Margaret Clapp was her name. Margaret Clapp and John Silver. Dream team. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, there's, there's, there's more good names coming up. Um, so she ran a house and, it, well, she was called a coffee house operator. So not a tavern. But it, it seems most likely that actually it was a private residence as opposed to an open coffee house. 
she used there's records of her running to the tavern next door, the bunch of grapes, and getting drinks to bring back. And sometimes she would have up to 40 people in her residence. Sunday nights were the busiest nights, apparently, which uh, I think has, has not changed that much, actually. And, um, I would definitely have been her friend. Yeah, well, she sounds like a bit of a legend, actually, because it wasn't a brothel she was running. Um, as I say, she went, and, she went and got the drinks in across the road. Actually, her, her place was where we, pretty much where we used to work. It's around Hatton Garden area. Ah, nice. Yeah. She, I wonder um, if they went to the craft beer pub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, she used to let people stay long term there if they needed to, if they didn't have a place to live. She gave false testimony to try and protect um, protect people from uh, being charged as well. So she was a bit of a legend. She it, it, it caught up with her in the end. She um, got charged for you know housing, uh, allowing inappropriate conduct. She got pilloried um, oh. and find and then put in jail for two years we don't hear anything of her after that and from the other records i've seen of people who went to prison not many of them made it out afterwards so it's very likely that unfortunately that was the end of her yeah um, but i think kind of quite admirable and then there was a guy called julius caesar taylor the name so when i did uh I did find an article on Molly Houses way back when, and that was the two, those are the two things I remember, was Julius Caesar and the initiations. Yeah, so he's the one that I've got a description of the trial for. Uh, mm-hmm. It's worth noticing as well that um, Julius Caesar Taylor was a free black man uh, who was running a business. It's, uh, <laughs> I think, a range of ethnicities is something that often gets overlooked in historical dramas. But when you actually <laughs> read, you know, um, source material from around these times. They were present in all sections of society, so I thought it was an interesting one to pick out. Anyway, it says, Julius Caesar Taylor was indicted for assaulting John Burgess with an intent to commit that horrid and detestable sin of sodomy. He was a second time indicted for keeping a disorderly house and entertaining wicked abandoned men who commit sodomitical practices. It appeared by the depositions of diverse witnesses that on the 15th of August last, the prisoner was seen to sit on the lap of John Burgess when they committed such indecent and effeminate actions as are not to be mentioned, that the company who resorted to his house launched into such extravagance as was scarce ever heard of. When any member entered into their society, this is what he was talking about, he was christened by a female name and had a quartan of Geneva thrown in his face. Yes. So that is the, all the incoming Geneva, the precursor to gin that we found was kind of flooding London at that time. Just threw a glass of gin in your face to welcome you in. Is that what you yeah. were up for? Yeah, that's what I'm up for. Give me a really, <laughs> give me a sassy name and throw gin at me. <laughs> One was called Orange Deb, another <laughs> Nell Gwyn, and a third Flying Horse Mole. And that the prisoner yeah. was accessory in these unnatural actions. It likewise appeared by the depositions of several of the neighbours that the prisoner kept a disorderly house, and he having none to appear for his character, the jury found him guilty of the first indictment for keeping disorderly house and the second indictment for an assault upon the body of John Burgess. It's so interesting when you find the old court proceedings because it's like the only way to uncover those sorts of histories. Yeah. I'd love to know how they chose the names. Yeah, I, well, a lot of them are um, indicative of lower class females. A lot of the names they choose, the, the Nels and the Moles and the Marys and, you know, all that sort of stuff. There's definitely a, a lower class 
element to what they were doing. Interestingly, it, when you look up kind of oldest gay bars in particular <laughs> countries, they tend to reference the ones that survived through to it becoming legal. So you're mm-hmm. looking at around, well, in France, it was sort of around the late 19th century, 1870s. In London, it was around the 1910s. Berlin, Amsterdam, San Francisco, they all come up around that time, around the turn of the century. And, but they were mostly bars for the upper classes because, uh-huh. you know, that period was very louche. And, you know, all the sort of wealthy people could go to these cabaret clubs and drink expensive cocktails. And that really is the idea that we still got of kind of those old 20th century gay bars coming through. So the, the, the transition in class, I think, is, is interesting because we know less about the Molly Houses and how they survived through the 19th century than we do mm-hmm. about the emergence of these sort of underground cabaret clubs for the upper classes. Yeah. Um, very, very interesting. I like it. In the interest of balance, I've got one more kind of story from that earth to tell you because they were all gay men stories. And that's, that's a whole other sort of social conversation, I suppose, as to why there were so many gay men that were visible and we don't know uh, what women were up to, you know, <laughs> in particular, mostly because they, you know, they weren't persecuted in the same way. It wasn't a death penalty because the lawmakers didn't think they existed. So they tended to operate by having networked friendships, you know, and doing things kind of like from the from the privacy of their own home when they wouldn't be observed anyway. So mm-hmm. whereas, you know, men were obviously allowed to go out by themselves, women not so much. So you get this very different social development between what gay men and, and lesbian women were doing um, around those times. But I did manage to find one pub related thing to possibly gay women, definitely a woman presenting as a man. Um, and it was a pub in Poplar um, as they ended up. Now, this story is actually written up by Bram Stoker in 1910, who's a fascinating creature in and of himself, but it's about James Howe, who was born or formerly known as Mary East. And she and her her partner, her, her wife, as they presented themselves, husband and wife, had um, a little pub out in Epping. And they, they sort of ran it there. And um, Mary was presented as James, as a man. They called himself husband and wife. Um, no one really seemed to notice or have a problem with it. And then there was a, a court case whereby James was attacked and had his hand injured. And he managed to get £500 compensation uh, for the wow. attack, which was a lot of money, yeah, um, lot. you know, by those standards. And so what they did is they invested their money and bought a, a bigger pub in Poplar, like right in, you know, in the heart of East London. And it was very successful. Uh, and they even bought kind of more places and ran them. They kept very much to themselves. Like they didn't, you know, really invite people around. They didn't have any sort of servants or assistants. And James Howe was so respected in his community that he actually became a parish officer. And he, he held like all the positions, all the positions in the parish, apart from constable and church warden. So women, for example, were not allowed to be the foreman of juries in those days. 
but James was the foreman several times. Um, and they did remark on his effeminacy, but no one really pushed it any further. I think partly because they were just so well respected and liked. Um, mm -hmm. But unfortunately, Mrs. Howe uh, did pass away in the 1760s. Um, they'd started in 1730, so they'd been together for like 35 years. Um, mm -hmm. And after that, it kind of went a bit downhill for James Howe because extortion came into play. Like, it, it, unfortunately, it did for any um, underground gay person who had even a little bit of money. And um, he was extorted for, like, hundreds of pounds, which is obviously a lot of money. Um, eventually, he kind of had to go to trial and turned up as Mary East. Everyone was really shocked. Um, but she, she managed to go on and like live her life after that. There wasn't, apart from, you know, losing a bit of money, yeah. there wasn't, um, imprisonment. They actually imprisoned the people that were, um, blackmailing. So that was kind of a good result, but it did mean that Mary East then had to kind of go on and live the rest of her life as a woman. But she left, she had a lot of money when she died because they were very yeah. successful business people and she left it to the poor people of Poplar. Um, and to friends, and he's buried in the churchyard of St. Uh, Matthias. And, and the, the white horse was the pub they had. It doesn't exist today, um, mm -hmm. but there is a post with a white horse on it next to the block of flats where it was. And actually, there was a, a, a pub on it and, until 2003. Uh, it's not wow. the same pub. It got rebuilt a couple of times. But on yeah. that site, there was a pub from the 14th century until 2003. So now there is a post you can still sort of go and see there. But I think it's a fascinating story what a life she must have been wow what a brave lady yeah good stories to be found throughout history if you go and uh read some trial materials <laughs> yeah <get snooping. laughs> anything else or should we call it a night <sighs> i think that's it I, I feel like i've just watched a a documentary <laughs> 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 Good. You watched you watched a documentary with a, a slightly sweaty man drinking a can of cider. So that's um, yeah, I mean, the best kind of documentary, isn't it? I've got my Elvis juice. It's going down well. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what mine? I'm about to say it, but mine literally has run dry. So our glasses have run dry, which means <laughs> it's time to climb a gay mountain and twirl like Julie Andrews. Cheers, Woo! everybody. Cheers. <laughs> Or land or sea or fall You can always hear me sing in this song Show me the way to go home Good, 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 good Was that gay enough? <laughs>